Well, today we are in our next uh, session, session eight, and the fundamentals of the family. So this is something, if, if you're new to the class today or joined recently, we've been going through uh, basically the, the, the fundamental foundations of, of what, what it looks like to, um, uh, to have a, in, in your family to, to glorify Christ. And so uh, we began with just the, the presuppositions, you've got to be born again, you have to be walking in faithfulness to the Lord, you have to be filled with the Spirit, you have to, uh, I mean, in order to, to live a life pleasing to God and to glorify Him, you have to know Him first and foremost, and you have to be walking faithfully with Him. As then we talked about what marriage is, the roles of the husband, the wife, the children, the parents. Uh, we talked about um, uh, communication, godly communication, conflict resolution, and this was actually not on the agenda out of the gate, but... Um, based on a couple of conversations and just coming out of the conflict resolution, uh, I thought it would be a great idea to talk about how to make biblical decisions within the family. So we talk about communication. I mean, communication is wrapped up in this. We talk about conflict resolution. You know, you're, in a sense, uh, in a place where you're, a lot of those conflicts come from decision-making and, and preferences and things like that. And so this is kind of on the, the front end of that. Uh, going into the decision, how do we make biblical decisions? Now, again, this gets outside. I mean, this is in all of life, you know, whether whether you're single, whether you're married, whether uh, it's within your family or just in the in in at work or wherever. Uh, these are good principles uh, for us to make wise, biblical, godly decisions. Um, and and part of this is just to uh, to get out of that that haziness of uh, you know just. This idea that the Lord is going to show you through some sort of circumstance or open door or something like that, um, and just to bring simplicity and clarity to how we make decisions in life, because we're making decisions all the time. Um, I mean, goodness, we've we've made. I mean, I'm making decisions right now on the words I'm coming out of my mouth. You've made decisions this morning on what to wear, and all. all I mean, there's been so many different things that you have to decide on a daily basis. Many times we're just making decisions without thinking, um, uh, but as, as Christians, we want to strive to, to make decisions that are going to be glorifying to the Lord, you know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you want to do all to the glory of God, we want to make decisions that uh, draw us uh, closer and closer to Him in our walk and, and holiness and righteousness and truth, and we want to make decisions that are out of preference for others and love others, and so there's just a lot of things that, like I said, sometimes it can get so, there, you, there can be so many things weighing on your mind, like, how do I make any decision, you know? And then the other end of the spectrum, you can just be like, well, I just make whatever decision I want to make, you know? And, and, uh, and so what we want to do today is examine how do we make decisions that are both biblical, glorifying to the Lord, and uh, especially, like I said, within the family, uh, how can we as, as men be leading our family in, in making biblical decisions, um, as, as women, how can we help guide our, our children and our family to make biblical decisions, to be a helper suitable to the husband and helping him and counseling to, to make uh, biblical decisions and just training our kids to think like this. This is very helpful for me. Um, you know, there's, there's things that you, you practice based off of, you know, both, you know, you've been convicted of certain things, you, your mind is trained biblically in certain ways, you understand certain scriptures, um, but I've never had to sit down and nail down like, you know, two, three step process of this is how you make a biblical decision. So even this was so helpful to me to just kind of put some to systematize it a little bit and go, well, this is this is the framework and this is how you do it. And so a lot of times, you know, you may be doing this. Uh, this may be already a trained process in your life 
of, of how you make decisions and you haven't really thought about, oh yeah, that's it. But either way, whether you're just like, I don't even know how to make a biblical decision or you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years and you're striving to submit to him, um, I think this is still going to be a, a helpful framework and hopefully bring a little bit of uh, clarity. Um, I, I read a lot and listened to a lot on biblical decision-making this week. I'd never, like I said, I've never taught like this topic. And so I really didn't know where to start. Um, and I, I really, I started with um, a little pamphlet uh, by uh, John MacArthur in the back called God's Will Found. And then that led me to another little pamphlet by Stuart Scott on biblical decision-making. It's called Biblical Manhood. Uh, but it talks about conflict resolution, uh, decision-making, and a couple other things. And then that just opened my world. I started following his footnotes, and it was, it was wonderful. So there's a great book in the back. I'm just mentioning some of these resources you could take a look at uh, by Gary. I think it's Friesen. I can't remember how you say it. It's, it's in the back. It looks like it was his doctoral work on biblical decision-making. I like it a lot because it basically starts out kind of like with this traditional Christian view of, you know, just pray about it, seek the Lord, look for peace, those kind of things. Just, it's just a mess of like how people make decisions, thinking that, you know, God's going to appear to them, say something to them, give them a peace about something, open a door for them. All these things that we've kind of heard over the years, that's just, just that's not how you do it. Uh, but then he takes it and goes, so what does the Bible say? about biblical decision-making. That was a very good resource. And then, like I said, Stuart Scott just has a lot of stuff. He did his doctoral work on this topic, and uh, he has a lot of great stuff. That has not been published, uh, but there's a lot of sermons and uh, pamphlets, notes, things, and other books written by him that are very good. I also threw back there a couple of other resources that really aren't in the notes, but are very helpful, like especially when it comes to um, uh, examining things and, 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 and making biblical uh, judgments or assessments uh, about life in general. Uh, but, but again, those things affect your family. And there's uh, a book series edited by Nathan Busnitz and uh, John MacArthur called um, Right Thinking. So there's right thinking in a world gone wrong, I think, right thinking in a church gone astray, and then right thinking in a culture of chaos. And it's basically looking at what we're walking through culturally and going, how do you think through these things? Because that does have an effect on all kinds of stuff, uh, decisions you make within your family. There's another one called Biblical Thinking, which was a, another really good resource that I, I actually went through with a bunch of our college students. Um, and then there's a resource called um, Spiritual or Biblical Discernment by Tim Challies, and that's another just good resource on, on uh, not only making uh, biblical decisions, but then walking in faithfulness so that you grow in discernment and wisdom as you, as you live life. So again, this, you know, this is a, a topic that kind of um, is, you know, it's got a lot of arms to it, you know? I mean, there's wisdom principles. There's one another principles. There's all kinds of things that kind of play into biblical decision-making. But my goal today is to talk about this, simplify it, Lord willing, best that I could, and uh, help us as um, as as Christians in general, but you know, especially within our family, to make decisions that glorify Him, uh, as we strive to to know His will and to um, and to submit to Him. So, follow along with me in your notes, and I'll help you fill in the blanks. So it says, when we talk about biblical decision making, we are expressing our desire to make choices that are pleasing to the Lord and according to His will. That was the best way I could think of just summing up in one line. However, there are many methods of decision-making that sound spiritual or even scriptural, 
that are not wise or pleasing to Christ. And so we're going to examine the, the principles and the process for biblical decision-making and briefly discuss many of the pitfalls that we can easily fall into along the way. And like I said, I think I've got footnotes. I'm going to try to give credit where credit's due. Some of this stuff I just stole straight from, like Stuart Scott. And, but it's, it, I just was like, it was already put together so well, and I wanted to hand it to you. But this first part is very good. Uh, the first part is the foundation for biblical decision-making. The reason I say this is very good is because this is something we've got to frame up in our mind before we can make biblical decisions. So the foundation for biblical decision-making is understanding what the will of God is, biblically. What is the will of God? Because this is what we're doing a lot of times. We're trying to make a decision. We're praying, Father, show me your will. Help me to know what your will is in this situation. But I, I, I definitely think, biblically, that that's not a prayer that he's going to show you. God doesn't show you his will in those situations in some sort of individual, magical kind of way. His will is revealed to us clearly in the scripture. But then there's an aspect of his will that we're just not privy to, and it's not part of of, of what we're called to even understand. And so that being said, defining the will of God, I think, is foundational before we talk about biblical decision-making. So here's a good definition of the will of God. Uh, This comes from MacArthur's Biblical Doctrine book. God's will is his perfect determination and sovereign ordination of all things, pertaining both to himself, including his decrees and actions, and to his creation, including the events of history and the thoughts and actions of people, all unto the magnification of his utmost glory. So when we talk about the will of God, that's just a good summary of of the whole thing. Now that being said, there's kind of two parts or two aspects of the will of God here. So we're calling this distinguishing the will of God. There's one will of God with two aspects. That's your blanks. One will, two aspects. Now again, the Bible doesn't say there's one will, two aspects. This is just us trying to, in a, in a way, frame this up. Like, what do we mean when we say the will of God? The first thing that we mean, the first biblical understanding of the will of God, is God's decretive will. D-E-C-R-E-T-I-V-E. God's decretive will. And this is just, this is what God has ordained. This is God in his sovereignty. God in his decreed will, his, this is his sovereign will over all things. And God does not tell us his decreed will outside of some of the prophecies of Scripture. Now, there have been times in the Old Testament where God has decreed, he has told certain prophets this is what I'm going to do to Assyria in the future. This is what I'm going to do to Jerusalem in the future. We know, uh, we just study Revelation. We know God's decreed will for the very end. We know God's decreed will for Christ to return. There are things that he has given us insight into in his word. But outside of his word, we don't know God's decreed will. There's no way for you to, to pray, and, for, and God's not going to speak to you and be like, well, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., this is what you're going to see on the freeway. And then when you get to work, this is what's going to happen. That's not how the Lord works. Uh, and so when we talk about his decretive will, we're talking about underneath this. It says God's decretive will is God's good pleasure. It's his eternal, unchangeable counsel or decree in which he has ordained all things. So we're just talking about the whole thing, the big picture. God's decretive will characterizes all of God's essence. So it is eternal, immutable, independent, and omnipotent. God's decreed will doesn't change. Even the circumstances and what we do never changes anything with his massive decreed will. Um, 
This does not mean that he is the immediate or efficient cause of all things, but that all things exist or occur by his eternal sovereign decree. God's decretive will makes everything certain, but he does not coerce his creatures to do anything. He ordains the free choices of men. In other words, in God's decreed will, sin is a part of that. Evil is a part of that. Murder is a part of this entire decreed will of God, yet God himself never condones or coerces or causes anyone to do evil. God doesn't tempt and God doesn't cause evil. Yet the Lord will use the evil of man both for the glory of his own son, for the good of his people. In fact, it's through our own sinfulness that we come to the realization that we need Christ, that we're broken and contrite through both the power of his word, his spirit working, us seeing the sinfulness in ourself and in the world, and we come to Christ, right? It's through wickedness in this world that, that God does many of his works for salvation uh, and for our good. It's through trials and suffering and, and hardship and persecution that we're refined and we're changed more and more to the image of Christ, right? And all those things require sin in order to, to happen. But God is not the one, he's not the, the author of sin, he's not... Um, condoning the sin that happens, but he is using the evil of this world to always accomplish good for his people and will ultimately bring glory to his son. Even the judgment of his enemies brings glory and honor to Christ and is our salvation. Have you ever thought about that? When God destroys evil and all sinners in hell, that is part of our salvation and the, the redemption of his creation. But again, all that's wrapped up in God's decretive will and those are things that God is doing, um, and, uh, and, and part of that is his, his providence working to make all things work for good and all things work for the glory of Christ. But again, those are, that's the, the, the big picture thing. And Ephesians 1 talks about that, Isaiah 46, that um, it's, a, it's a mystery, his will. Um, talks about the administration suitable for the fullness of times, the summing up of all things in Christ. That's just a, a way to talk about the whole picture. And all these things have been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That's talking about his decretive will. Isaiah 46, again, that God declares the end from the beginning. His purpose is established, and he will accomplish his good pleasure. So when we talk about God's decretive will, we're talking about his sovereignty, which is his complete and absolute control over all things. And we're talking about his providence working in that, which is his care and his guidance of all things towards that sovereign purpose, which never, ever changes. Does that make sense? Uh, it would be what has occurred and what will occur. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could say it that way. You, you're, you're able to understand the providence of God and his decreed will by looking back, but you're never going to see it looking forward. That's, that's, a good, that's right. So you can see historically what his will was, uh, but you can't take history and then try to interpret future. You know, you can learn things from it. Uh, but but the, only, the only future decreed will that you're going to have is, is revelation given to us by God. And the only place you're going to find that is in his word. The next part of God's will is God's preceptive will. God's preceptive will. And this is God's will. Uh, it's P-R-E-C-E-P-T-I-V-E. God's preceptive will. It's his precepts. Uh, this is his revealed will in Scripture. This is his, some people call it moral will. This is his commands, uh, principles, uh, the things that God desires. So his whole decretive will contains all things, including sin. 
God's preceptive will is that you love one another the way that Christ loved you. It's that you put away sinfulness and you put on righteousness. Does that make sense? It's the, it's the commands and the precepts of God's, it, God. It's his will uh, for you in this life. So when we talk about knowing God's will, this is what we're talking about. You can know God's will, and you can know it clearly. And it's simple to understand. It's in the word of God. You have to open his word to understand his will. So God's preceptive will consists of God's precepts in the law and in the gospel for man's conduct. It is often called God's revealed or signified will. Uh, God reveals his preceptive will by means of scripture commands, prohibitions, warnings. uh, I think that's supposed to be chastenings (laughs) and judgments. God's preceptive will is God's will only in the prescriptive sense. The preceptive will reveals not what God will do, but what he demands of his people. Does that make sense? So you see the, the, the big picture, the sovereign will of God, the decretive will of God is all that he does. But then his preceptive will or his moral will or his revealed will to us is what he demands of us, what he has called us to how to think, how to speak, how to live, what we are to do. And when we talk about wanting to know God's will so we can make biblical decisions, we're in this world here. Does that make sense? Um, so you're not, you're not praying for God to show you his, his decretive will so you can know what he's going to do tomorrow so that you can kind of do that thing. You're asking, you're, you're, you're basically trying to figure out what does God say in his word so you can live according to his will. And this is what Ephesians 5 talks about. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When we're, when we're commanded in scripture to know God's will, God doesn't make that unclear. He, he, he commands us to know his will because he has given us his will in scripture. So it's, our, it's on our shoulders to read his word, understand his will, and not be foolish, but know his will and then, and then act according to his will. Colossians 1.9, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So God's preceptive will are basically his commands, which are direct commands in, in scripture from God. So there are some things that are just commanded. Do not kill. That is the will of God. Uh, love one another the way that I have loved you. That is the will of Christ, the will of God. Um, and then you got principles, which are indirect but biblically derived from precepts of God. So again, when we talk about like the one another's and the way that we're called to love one another, that, that will play into choices that you make. Uh, when we talk about do not love the world or the things of this world, those principles are going to play into choices that you make uh, because you're striving to live according to the will of God. But God doesn't say, don't listen to this band. But you can think through biblical principles that cause you to go, should I listen to this? Should I bring this as an influence into my family? Or should we refrain? Does that make sense? And so that's, those are biblical principles. And that's where most of our decision-making lies. That's where a lot of the confusion is at. Because if it's like, should I kill this person or not? Like, that one's pretty clear. There's a command in Scripture. You ought to know as a child of God, no, that's not God's will for you to do that. Should I slander this person or not? Like, you should know that is not God's will ever for you to slander them. It's not God's will for you to act in revenge. It's not God's will for for you to, to cheat on your spouse. Those things are commands. But then, like I said, when you get down to, should we buy this car or not? You know, should I go to this concert or not? Should we move or not? Those are things that you're going to have to have biblical principles that start playing into that 
uh, that help you to see what would God's will be in this situation. You see what I'm saying? So, so we're going from, we're trying to describe God's will. Get, we're, we're mainly talking about with decision-making, his preceptive will. And within that, most of these things are falling into the category of principles, not commands. The commands are pretty simple. I mean, go read scripture, understand what God commands, and don't do the opposite of what he commands, and do the thing that he does command. That's, those are simple decisions to make. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to, I don't have a clock in the back. There we go. All right. Uh, let me, let me read some of these quotes and then I got to keep moving. God's decretive will and his preceptive will must be held in tension. Uh, I got to, I got to stop narrating these things and read them, period. (laughs) To deny his preceptive will is to commit injustice against God's holiness and to ignore the gravity of sin. So again, um, you know, we, we, we don't want to do that. But to deny God's decretive will is to deny his omniscience, wisdom, omnipotence, and sovereignty. Do you understand that? So, so we want to submit to his preceptive will uh, because we're striving for holiness. We're, we're striving to put away sin. Uh, and, if we, um, and then when it, when it comes to his decretive will, we're talking about his omniscience, his wisdom, his omnipotence in all things. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture unto which nothing at all is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or the traditions of men. That comes from the Westminster Catechism or Westminster Confession of Faith. But basically saying that God has given us everything in his word so that we can do his will. We can know his will and we can act according to his will. He hasn't left anything out that we have to seek his will outside of Scripture. Uh, And then J.C. Ryle in his book, Walking with God, says the same sort of thing. The Bible must be our standard. Whenever we are confronted with a question about Christian practice, we must apply the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will deal with it directly, and we must go by its direct teaching. Often the Bible will not deal with it directly, and then we must look for general principles to guide us. It does not matter what other people think. Their behavior is not a standard for us, but the Bible is a standard for us, and it is by the Bible that we must live. That might be the most clear quote. I mean, this is what it is. So when you want to know the will of God or what the decision is that you need to make, yeah, getting counsel is great. Uh, make, you know, examining you know, circumstances and weighing out the, the positives and negatives, all that is great, but that's not how you make a biblical decision. A biblical decision is what does God say in his word? Is it a direct command or not? If it's not, what are the principles that play out here? And you can make a decision that glorifies him that is biblical without all that other stuff. All that other stuff is, is, is helpful but the, the, the main part of our uh, decision-making has to come from his word, and he's given us everything in his word for that. So, number two, here's some presuppositions for biblical decision-making. Number two is presuppositions for biblical decision-making. Now, I got this um, from Stuart Scott's Biblical Manhood, uh, that, that little pamphlet, and I have a copy of it in the back that you can look at. But these were, I just thought, very good things to just kind of think through before, you know, it, when we're talking about biblical decision-making, some of these are things that you need to already assume and presuppose before you make a decision. You must begin with biblical decision-making process with some crucial presuppositions. A presupposition is what you assume to be true and therefore act upon. The following are biblical truths that you must be convinced of before you make decisions biblically. So this is kind of framing it up and getting out some of the bad thinking that's probably there from just things that we grew up thinking, uh, things that we may have even heard in church growing up, or things that we just in our own you know, mystical understanding think might be true. So letter A, 
we do not need to know God's decretive will to make a decision. You don't need to know what the outcome is in order to make a decision uh, that, that will glorify him in this biblical. Letter B, we do not need to interpret God's providence to make a decision. Kind of like Carol was saying, you can know God's providence in retrospect, but you're not trying to figure it out moving forward so that you can make a decision that's going to be God's providence. Those things aren't given to us. We're, we're, he doesn't disclose to us his decretive will or his providence of how he's going to play those things out. And you don't need to know those things in order to glorify him. Now, I'm not talking about, I mean, we talked about when we studied Revelation, knowing the end, understanding what he will do helps you live with clarity in the, in the immediate. Uh, and, and, and so there is clarity there. But had he not revealed the end, we could still live according to his will based on what he has revealed to us in his word. We're just thankful that he has given us a picture of what's going to happen. But most things we don't know what's going to happen. Even in the end, we don't know the, all the different circumstances that lead there. Um, and again, Isaiah 55 talks about, uh, God says, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, uh, your ways, I'm sorry, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So if it's not revealed, it doesn't belong to us, we don't need to know it. God didn't leave us with, you know, we're not going to get to heaven. He's like, ah, I should have told you that along the way. That would have been so helpful. <laughs> My bad. You know, so the secret things belong to him. But it says the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So what God has revealed, we are responsible to understand that, to know that, and to submit to that, follow that, obey that. The things that are not revealed, those belong to him. So stick with what you know. Let her see the Holy Spirit will not speak to you apart from God's word. The Holy Spirit convicts, teaches, encourages, and conforms us through God's revealed word. Jesus made that very clear before he sent the Spirit. If you read in John 14, 15, and 16, you got one of the greatest descriptions of the work of the Holy Spirit, of, of the purpose of the Holy Spirit, um, by God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, and he tells us what the Spirit will do. And here's what he says. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Um, he goes on to say in John 16, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all, all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own initiative. The Holy Spirit is submissive to the Father, submissive to the Son, and, and, and helps us understand what has been revealed to us by God in his word. He says, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. For the apostles, that means disclosing New Testament content. For you and I, now that the canon is closed, there's no more revelation being given, it is understanding what God has given to us through his living and active word. That is the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. God has equipped you with his Spirit. He puts it within you, both so that you can understand his truth, so that you can obey his truth. He's given us the power uh, to, to both know and to do what God has said. So when it comes to biblical decision-making, we're not asking God, you know, what have you said? He's given you that. That's up to you to go and open the word and understand it. And we're not asking God, help me to obey. I mean, you can ask for help, but he has given you the resource, the power through the spirit of God to obey him. So is, there's not a lack of power or a lack of ability. There's not a lack of, of content or knowledge. It's all there. 
uh, what we're asking for is wisdom. What we're asking for is, is uh, strength. And, uh, and we're asking for the Lord to, to give us the, the wisdom uh, to, to obey his will that he's revealed to us. Um, but he's given us everything we need. And, and the spirit of God is not going to speak to you and tell you something outside of the word of God. Letter D, God only guides and leads his people today by providence. We know after the fact. And by promises, which is the things that he's revealed in Scripture, we know before we act. And I thought that was a good way to say it. Providence, you can look back and go, okay, I, I see now what God did in this situation. Uh, but then his promises or Scripture is what you are called to submit to and to know before you act. Letter E, God has provided all that we need through his word and his spirit to do his will. Again, we, we know that he has given us 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. He's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through true, the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the Lord has granted to us in his written word and through his Holy Spirit all that we need, both for salvation and to live a life faithful to him uh, in obedience to his will. Letter F, we are fully responsible to search scripture and obey God's preceptive will. So that's on us. Letter G, if we make a decision based on biblical commands and principles alone, we can fully trust that we are pleasing God in our decisions and fully trust that he will providentially change our choices if it's not within his decreed will. Again, the, the, the circumstance doesn't drive your obedience. Submission to his word drives our decisions. And then we're fine with whatever the, the outcome of that is. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and if, we, you know, if we're submitting to him, then he will, in his decreed will, cause us to be doing exactly what he wants us to be doing. Letter H, we must rightly interpret and apply God, uh, the word of God, and we must accurately handle truth if we hope to accurately abide in his will. So a misunderstanding or a wrong understanding of his word can lead to wrong decisions based off a misunderstanding of what God has proclaimed to you. And so what falls on our shoulders is to rightly understand, accurately handle his truth so we can do his will. And then again, uh, number, or letter I, no one is ever outside the decreed plan of God. So there's, there's comfort in that. There's comfort in knowing his word reveals very clearly his will. Open his word, read what his will is, and then submit to his will. Because if you have the spirit of God, he's given you the power and the ability to obey whatever he's commanded you to obey. Is there going to be pitfalls along the way? Sure. Are there going to be sinful habits that you might have to, you know, be hard to break and get out of? Absolutely. Are there going to be all kinds of, can you make a, a wrong decision? Yes. But even in that, as a Christian, when we make a wrong, I mean, think about when you sin. You make a wrong decision. That was not the will of the Lord. So you repent, you get back up, and you strive after the will of the Lord to glorify him and all that you do. All right, number three. These are principles for biblical decision-making. Principles for biblical decision-making. There are a few guiding principles that must have occurred in the past and some that must be continually practiced in the present in order to make wise biblical, uh, a wise biblical decision. Only someone that has been transformed by the life-giving power of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and walking faithfully in obedience to his word is able to make wise biblical decisions. So again, you have to be born again. You have to have the Spirit of God working within you, which if you are born again, you are filled with the Spirit. 
and you have to be walking in obedience, which is being spirit-filled and submitting to him. So the biblical summary of this, I just thought this was a good, uh, that your blank there is summary. The biblical summary that I'm taking this from is Colossians 1, 3 through 12, and I'm getting a lot of this out of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 as well. But if you read Colossians 1, you got Paul talking about the will of the Lord, and, and he mentions all of these things in this, in this passage. He says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that for this purpose that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's like beginning to end the whole Christian walk. I mean, you're born again, you end up at the very end glorified together with Jesus Christ, and then everything in the middle is being filled with the knowledge of his will so you can walk in a manner worthy of him, giving thanks, submitting to him, obeying him, growing in holiness. That, that's, that's the Christian life, and that's what it looks like to be living according to the will of God or making biblical decisions. So from that, I took these five principles. Number or Letter A, you must be saved. You must be saved. You can't, know, you can't glorify Christ, you can't please Christ, you can't make decisions that are going to be pleasing and glorifying to him if you, if you don't know him to begin with. I mean, the first decision you should make is repent of your sin and believe in Christ. That's a biblical decision. And that would be the, the first and foremost biblical decision that any of us need to make. Listen to what he says in his word, repent of your sin and believe in Christ. In order to please the Lord and do his will, you must be born again. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 are wonderful chapters to go memorize. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, all the way through chapter 2 are something that you ought to strive to commit to memory because they help you both in your understanding of, of how the world works, what the Spirit is doing, and how to live. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20 says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So you can't make, one of the reasons you can't make biblical decisions not being born again, not only is the fact that you're, you're dead and you're sin and all that, but, but the, the things of God are foolishness to you. They're the opposite of what you think a good decision would be. Um, you know, deny yourself. Like, when is that a good decision for someone that's living according to their own desires and, and flesh? Uh, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, forsake your life here on earth that you can inherit eternal life. I mean, just some of the things the Lord says are absolutely ludicrous to the world. But for those who are being saved, understand that we are not living for this life only, but for eternal life. They're everything for us. They give us clarity, conviction, and direction. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised or spiritually judged. They're outside of, of his ability. But it says, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ revealed in his word. So again, to make a biblical decision is to listen to what Christ has revealed to us that was come out of his mind, if you want to say that, in his scripture, and then do that thing. That is going to be a biblical decision. Letter B, you must study scripture. So you want to know the will of the Lord. You want to know how to make a biblical decision. You must study scripture. You've got to read the word. You've got to memorize the word. You've got to practice the word. You can't practice what you don't know, right? 
You can't walk out the door and make a biblical decision if you don't know what the Bible says or what the Lord says. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 9, uh, Paul says that we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. It's a hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages for our glory. Every word given to us in the Bible was predestined by God for his children in this present age for us to know how to honor him, to glorify him, to live in accordance to his will in this church age. That's the Old and New Testament. It was given to us. It says these are things that, at the very end there, all that God has prepared for those who love him. These are things the world doesn't understand. These are things the world does not accept. But these are the things God predestined for his people in this life to know how to live in accordance to his will. So we ought to want to know what his word uh, says. Psalm 119, 98 through 101 says, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I keep your word. That's good biblical uh, foundation and decision-making criteria. You want to you want to, uh, to, to glorify him, to be wise, to be insightful, and to live in a way then you have to know his word and observe his commands. Letter C, you must be submissive. This is a big part of it. You must be submissive. You need to, to submit your will to his will. And, and you must be submissive in, in all that you do. There's many times where the Bible will push against our desire. The Bible will push against what we wish would happen. The Bible will push against what we might think is the best outcome in this situation. And we must be submissive to his will and not our own will. Again, I mean, that's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I don't think I put it on there. But when he says, uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I mean, that's biblical decision making right there. Rather than leaning on your understanding and what you think the best assessment is here, you, you trust in the Lord and you do what he says. He is the one that will make your path straight. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one, one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. That's decision making. I mean, you're, you're going to make many decisions not based on your personal interests, but the interests of others, because it says, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. So Christ was submissive. Christ was humble. And in his submissiveness, he submitted both to his Father's will um, and, and he submitted to, his, uh, to, to God's plan for our salvation, which meant him going to the cross and dying for us. Which Matthew 26, if you flip over 39 and 42, I think this is Christ doing this very thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes and he prays, he falls on his face. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Talking about what he's about to endure on the cross, drinking the full cup of the wrath of God for our sin. But he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's how we need to pray. It's not, show me your will. It's, Father, let me not do my will. Help me to obey your will. And your will has been given to me in the word. He went again the second time, prayed, Father, uh, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. That's a good prayer. And, and, and if you want to make biblical decisions, then you need to always be submitting your will to the will of God um, and to his revealed will in Scripture. Letter D, you must be spirit-filled. Spirit it just means to be controlled by or dominated by the Spirit. You want the Spirit of God to control your life, not your own understanding and desires and, and, and will. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13 says, God revealed 
uh, the, the word, the truth, through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depth of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit within the man? Uh, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Again, in the context, he's talking about the Word of God. So God has given us His Spirit so that we can understand with clarity the words that He has revealed to us, the things that He predestined for us, uh, that, that He ordained for His children to know. So God has equipped us with everything we need to make biblical decisions and to understand His will. He revealed His will. He gave you a spirit so you could understand his will with clarity. And it's our job to, to, to walk in uh, submission to, to his will uh, and to be spirit-filled. Uh, Ephesians 5, it says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, it's a command to understand the will of the Lord. Um, we're responsible to understand the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So I can tell you, the will of the Lord is for you to be Spirit-filled. The will of the Lord is for you to be controlled by His Spirit and not by your own lusts and desires and understanding. The will of the Lord is for you to walk, to live in patience and in kindness, in gentleness and grace, to love one another, to be, to be merciful, never to repay evil for evil, to always do what is uh, for the interest of other people over yourself. I mean, those are, that's the will of the Lord every time. And so, again, just, just understanding that with clarity just helps you make a lot of decisions. Because you look at the decision, you're like, this is going to serve my interests, but it's going to be bad for this person. Well, that's not the will of the Lord. Or this is going to be, this is going to be profitable for me, but it's going to hurt this, 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 and this person. That wouldn't be the will of the Lord, you know? And so you, you start looking at it through these principles, and it helps you to make clarifying decisions um, uh, as you face things in life. And then letter E, you must be striving for sanctification. He tells us to be holy for he is holy. So again, if you are striving for holiness, if you're living in a way that you're trying to grow in maturity, grow in Christ-likeness, then you're going to have clarity along the way. Actually, you're going to be doing things already that are going to help you to make wise biblical decisions because you're, you're living in submission to his truth and you're, you're striving for uh, holiness. Actually, Hebrews 5 is talking about discernment. He says, and this is talking to people who have, who, again, been in the church for a long time. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. There's one main part. For he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It could be that you have such a hard time making decisions because you're not acquainted with the word and you're not walking in a manner worthy of him to begin with. And so every decision, you're having to come back down to basic elementary principles of Christianity. Okay, I need to love others. That's great. You should love others. But you ought to, I mean, if you've been in this church for 20 years and you say you've known Christ for 20 years and you've been, then, then you ought to reflect someone that has followed Christ for 20 years and be able to make decisions as someone who has strived for 20 years to submit their will to the Lord, to submit under his word and, and to know those things. But many times because we're not reading the word of God that we don't know what he says and we're not practicing it on a daily basis, little decisions become big hurdles because, because of a lack of acquaintance with the word and a lack of practice in our lives. Does that make sense? And so a lot of times, the path to biblical decision-making is open the word of God and start obeying him. 
every day. And biblical decisions will begin to happen as you do that. Uh, Philippians 2, same sort of thing. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, It's God who is uh, working within us um, to will and to work for his good pleasure. So those are kind of underlying principles. This is kind of the, here's how you do it. Here's the process for biblical decision making. So the process, number four is the process for biblical decision making. So we talked about the foundation. You got to know what the will, when we say the will of the Lord, what that means. The presupposition, you're not looking for voices from God, things like that. The principles, you got to be born again, study the word, be submissive to him, be spirit filled. Now, this is what it looks like to make a biblical decision. Now, if you really start examining your decisions, it's super simple. Uh, and, and, and it just gives you clarity in the moment. Number one, or letter A, start submissive. Begin the decision-making process with not my will, but yours be done. If your desire is for his will to be done and for you to be secondary and for him to be foremost, for him to be glorified and for you just to be a faithful servant, it makes a lot of decisions a lot easier. Because if you're going, okay, I want to somehow manipulate this situation so that on the back end of this I get what I want, well, then you're starting on the wrong foot. So you want to start submissive. Submit your will to the will of the Lord and and desire for his will to be accomplished in this situation and for him to be glorified, whatever that means for you. Even if that's a hard path for you, that's what you want. If you're starting there, that's a good place to start. Continually have a, and actually I took all of this straight from Stuart Scott's um, uh, a sermon series of his that was just very good. Um, but but uh, letter A, continually have a humble, yielded, dependent will before the Lord. Uh, this will be reflected in a prayer request, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, I, I put down there um, uh, the, the, the Matthew 26 quote, yet not as I will, but your will be done. Remember and know that doing God's will so that you can walk worthy uh, of him. So that's, that's your desire. You want to start there. I just want to glorify you. I just want to submit to you. I just want to obey you. And I don't care what the end of that looks like. Because a lot of times we make decisions based on what we hope it, the, the end is. Does that make sense? And that's not what you start on. Continue to pray for wisdom. Uh, the, the Lord tells us that James 1.5, if any lacks wisdom, ask God. That's what we need to be praying for along the way. Your will be done. Give me wisdom along the way to know uh, how to, to, to uh, walk in a manner worthy of you. And then gather as much data as you can to make a wise decision. Um, and so, um, again, it's not that you're just... You're, you're, you're not gathering data, you're not studying the situation, but no matter what it is, you're striving to uh, be submissive to him. So start submissive, uh, letter B, search for commands. So start out the gate, Father, your will be done, and just help me live in obedience to you. And then open the Bible or examine what you know from the word, and you're looking for commands first and foremost. Because if it's, if it's a command, it's a simple decision, Right? If, if, if there's a command in Scripture, a direct command from the Lord, well, the decision is then to do, to do what he says or don't do what he says not to do. Does that make sense? There, there's your decision. So search for commands first and foremost. All Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for proof, correction, training, and righteousness. Um, uh, so, like I said, this may take positive command form or prohibition. Um, and so, and if you don't know, like if you, if you, if you're not acquainted with the word or you don't, you know, you're just like, I mean, how do I open this whole thing up to know, like, if you're like, I remember, I remember doing this actually right out the gate. When we first came to this church, I wanted to be a godly husband to my wife. I was new married, new Christian. 
And I remember coming to Shane and being like, I want to be a godly husband. I had no idea. I mean, it's like, where, this is a big book. And where in the world does it talk about being a husband, you know? And Shane was just like, well, in Ephesians 5 it says, or in Colossians 3, I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, but, but he was acquainted with the word. He had been reading the word. He knew where these things were found. So if you don't know where it's found, then like it says here, get a, get a, 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 a concordance or a topical Bible, something like that. Look up marriage. Look up husbands. Figure out what the Lord says about husbands and do that. That's doing his will. So look at what are the commands, you know. If it talks about parents, look at the commands. If you want to be a good employee, look at the topical, find employees or, or workers or servants and, and do what he says. Fill your mind with the commands of the Lord, the, the truth of his scripture, and do what he commands. Obey the Lord. Um, letter C, if it's not a direct command or a direct prohibition from the Lord, then you're searching for principles. Look for biblical principles. Study principles in Scripture that, are concern, that concern this issue. Wisdom is at its purest in Scripture, and then start uh, to rely more on, on human reason, advice, experience, and, and stuff like that. So again, start with Scripture. What does the Lord say? Again, it's great to get counsel. I mean, there's wisdom in surrounding yourself with, with, with a multitude of counselors. But the Word of God is your greatest counsel, because that comes directly from him. It's inerrant, and it's from the Lord. Uh, look at stewardship principles, wisdom principles, relationship principles, things like that. Uh, this is one of the most neglected areas of decision-making, and, and many of these things, um, uh, many decisions are made in this realm. So again, like I said, it, it may be like, I want to go see this movie. you know. So then you start with, and the Bible doesn't say you should or should not see this movie. But then you start with principles. Well, what, what's in this movie? Uh, am I going to expose my children to this movie and why? What are the principles that God has told you about being a godly uh, father or mother? What are the things about worldliness that the Lord says? Is this going to introduce something? You know, I think that's a big thing I talk to college and high school students about a lot. We talk to our girls about a lot. There's a lot of things that in some sense are neutral, but they come with a subculture that is not, you know? I think like skateboarding, snowboarding, something like that. Just, I mean, if you like to skateboard, great. If you like to snowboard, great. But there's a culture that can come with those sports that, that has an ideology, that has a philosophy behind it. And you've got to help your children distinguish between the, the sport itself and the culture that it comes with and the, the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they think, the way they see the world and the worldview. Music comes with a subculture. Um, uh, work, uh, jobs. I mean, th- uh, there's a lot of things that come with subcultures that can be neutral in them themselves, but the subculture that it comes with brings about an ideology that, that is not okay. Does that make sense? And so again, there's principles at play there. Uh, there's the worldliness principles. Um, there's, there's principles where you start thinking, if I introduce this, is this gonna, could this potentially become something that could be enslaving either to me, to my wife, to my children, to my friends, then if that's a possibility, well, then the principle will be, well, then don't introduce that. Why would you do that, you know? Um, you don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone else or something like that. Uh, another principle I heard a man say one time and I thought was, was very wise was, um, you know, people are looking at you, right? You claim to be a Christian. You claim to be a child of God. So people are examining your life, whether you like it or not. And many things that you do, um, you do in moderation, other people will do in excess because they'll see you do it and they'll be like, well, they know the Lord and it doesn't seem like it's affecting them. They're a godly man or a godly woman, uh, but they don't have, they may not have thought through some of these things the way you thought through them and, and you're driving on principles there and they're driving on what they see you do. And now, you know, you could easily cause someone else. Now, again, you can't control what they do, 
But those principles need to be at play. So that it's not just, you know, it's, it's 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, right? I mean, we have many freedoms and liberties in Christ. But Paul says, but if, but if, but if eating meat caused my brother to stumble, I would never eat meat again. Paul knows he's fully free to eat meat offered to idols. But if that caused a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, well, he's like, I'd be a vegetarian before I do that, you know? And again, it's like, so if you're going into it with that principle at play, I don't want to ever do anything to hinder anyone from following Christ or hinder anyone in their growth of holiness. Well, that's going to help you to make certain decisions. And there's going to be some things that you decided a year ago that were fine, and a year later you decide it's not okay. You know, when your kids were two, it was not okay. And now that they're seven, you're like, this is okay. You know what I mean? But again, it's not based on, well, I saw this person do it. Or I read in a book over here, and it said this is okay. It's you're going to the Word of God. You're looking at commands, and then you're looking at principles, and you're striving to be submissive to His will. Who cares what the outcome is? And then what will glorify Him? What's going to be for the good of others? What's going to be loving? Uh, what's going uh, what's to produce holiness and, 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 and drive away worldliness? Does that make sense? And then, then there's, there's freedom to make choices in those principles. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, really, that's it. I'm going to add these other things on here, but like, it's just it, be submissive. What are the commands? What are the principles? Make a decision. But this is other things that need to be part of the principle stuff. One major, if you want to call it principle, is, is walk with Christ. You're, you're striving to walk in a manner worthy of him. So the decisions you make, you want to make decisions that are driving you towards Christ, not towards the world, not, not you know, entangling yourself with things that are going to become hindrances that you're going to have to put off later. You want to be walking in a manner worthy of him. Uh, the, the, the way that he said this is, is this something I can thank God for? Is this something that will glorify God? Is this following the example of Christ? Is this going to be beneficial? Is this going to promote my spiritual life or holiness? Uh, is this practice over time going to master me? Or will it stimulate a desire that will be difficult to control? Think about those things before you take the first step. Is this an occasion where my flesh or sinfulness is seeking to indulge itself? Again, the first people we fool is ourselves. We're like, well, I have the strength to do this. But it may not be about your strength. It may be about should you, should you do that? You know what Paul says, uh, where is it where he says, you know, not all things are beneficial. Not all things are profitable. You can do things, but is it profitable? Is it beneficial? Is it going to promote holiness? Or, or is it something that you could do without, you know? So those are things when you're talking about walking with Christ. Uh, influencing others. Again, we kind of talked about this. Is this worth imitating? People are going to watch you. Is this something that you want people to see in your life and, and then possibly imitate you? You know, I mean, just think through those things before you make a decision. Uh, are you not seeking outside counsel due to, want, uh, to wanting what you want? Again, you know, uh, the foolish man isolates himself so he can do his own desires. I, that's a Brian a paraphrase of Proverbs, whatever. <laughs> Got to get better at that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but again, it's like we, we, we tend to not get counsel when we want to, to do things that we know, yeah, this might not be the wisest decision. And so if you, that even comes into your mind, then expose yourself, get counsel, you know, and let somebody be like, no, I d- that, don't do that. That's, that's the last thing you want to do. Um, is it self-serving at the expense of someone else's benefit? Again, these are things we've been talking about. Will my choice affect others around me? If so, in what way? Um, is it constructive? Will it promote spiritual well-being of others, of other believers if they engage in this practice that is permissible for me? Um, the need. Is there a, a God-given need for me to do this thing? Uh, is, if there is a need, then, then who needs to be doing it? Think about that. I mean, there could be a need. Actually, um, oh, man, there was a, 
a situation, there was a, a biblical example, of David in the temple. So David desired to build, I, I remember reading this in one of these things I was reading, but David desired to build a temple, right, for the Lord. Uh, after, you know, there was rest and land and all that, that's not a bad desire. Even Nathan said, yeah, go for it. But then God told Nathan, not David. So, so th- there may be a need, but it may not be you that's called to do it, you know. And so, again, in those decisions, you know, you, I mean, think about that. Any of us that I have this problem, anytime you see a need, you want to meet that need or you want to help that person. But, but that could come at the expense, first, of letting other people serve and do things. And secondly, it might be a hindrance to something else in your life because you're wearing yourself thin or you're not doing what you should be doing. And so, again, a biblical decision may be saying, no, I'm not going to be a part of that Bible study. And then you're like, well, wouldn't be a part of Bible study always be a good biblical decision? Maybe not. Again, you have to assess it. What, what is the need? Is this something that you need to be doing, or is this something that you need not to be doing? And you're looking at other principles in life, you know? If it's going to cause me to neglect my family, to not see my children, to not leave my wife in the way that I'm called to leave my wife, but it's like something the church needs, well, that might be an unbiblical decision, even though it's church stuff, you know? And so, again... Uh, you're thinking of those sort of things. Opportunities, is there an opportunity to do this? Think about that. I mean, sometimes the, the decision is, well, there is no opportunity. I mean, you may want to teach a Bible study, or you may want to, to start a, an evangelism ministry, or you may want to, to do, I mean, you may have a good want, a good desire, but there's no opportunity. Nobody's asking you to teach. I want to teach, but nobody's asking me to teach. Well, the biblical decision there would be, well, then don't teach. Wait for the opportunity. The Lord will make that very clear. The opportunity will happen, you know, but uh, many times we, get, we take unbiblical means to try to get something that we think is biblical on the back end, and we take the wrong method to get there, and it's sinful. You know, I mean, people split churches over desires that may sound very biblical, but they do it in the wrong way, and you end up doing things that, that are displeasing to the Lord, but you're just striving for the holiness of Christ. God would never cause you or never call you to disobey principles and precepts along the way so you can get to an end result that's going to glorify him. That's not how he works. I mean, think about David. David was called by God to be king, right? He was, Samuel had already anointed him. God told David you would be king, and he had many opportunities to take that into his own hands and to become king, but he didn't, you know, and even when he cut Saul's robe and all that, I mean, he felt convicted about it. He's like, no one should touch the Lord's anointed. Saul was still alive, and that was the king, and David was waiting patiently for the Lord. And then you got other examples that are negative, like um, uh, Jacob, right? Jacob was the, the promised one, the, 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 the seed of, of Abraham, the being the line of Christ and all that. The promises come, come through Jacob, but Jacob took things into his own hands, listened to his mom's bad advice, deceived his dad, which caused years of brokenness and turmoil and all kinds of hardship for Jacob. I mean, God still did in his decreed will exactly what God said he would do. But because of Jacob making poor decisions and not submitting to the Lord's will and being deceptive and stuff like that, had a a whole life of hardship that he had to endure. Um, So again, um, you know, uh, make sure the, the opportunity is there. That's funny. I think I left out a... Do you have another page? I had a little chart at the end, which... I'll bring to you next week. The last is scrutinize your desires. Scrutinize your desires. Um, affirm that your desires are God-honoring. Now, again, sometimes we can get to this place and we can just feel like, you know, I, I feel like this is, this is a desire that is from the Lord, but check it. Um, because, again, many times we try to, 
to mask our desires, to make them God's will so that we can do the very thing that we desire. But, it, but you need to, to check yourself and go, is this edifying to others? Will this cause others to sin? Again, I wrote down there, what you do in moderation is others do in excess. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24 and 31 to 33. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, uh, but that, what, that is the, the good of others. I, I cut the notes off, sorry. <laughs> so you're not looking out for your own interests, and you're not looking out for yourself. It could be. It could be, again, spiritually neutral, but it might be attached to a situation that it's like, well, you don't do that, or you don't do this in this setting, but it's fine in a different setting. I think of that like with uh, clothing. Think about that with, you know, we have a dress code for youth group, and we have a dress code for camps and things like that. You dress in a certain way when you're at certain events, but we're not telling you that you can't go to the beach and dress a different way. You know, I mean, again, we're saying in this situation, modesty looks like this. And so when we're in this situation, you want to dress like this. But when you're at home or you're at the gym or you're at the beach with your family, that, that's different. You may have your own convictions about modesty in those situations as well. But again, it's like what, what may be appropriate here may not be appropriate over here. And again, that's those, you've got to make those biblical decisions. So you wearing this to camp is disobedient or is provoking or is being, li- living uh, in rebellion against whatever your church desires but then you're wearing that over here at your home or in your backyard or when you go to the beach with your family, it's totally fine. But again, it's not the clothing. It's your attitude, your heart, and why you're making that decision. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to press against authority. You want to be submissive. And so that's going to look different in different situations. So anyway, I hope that was clear. I wish I had left. I'll, I'll bring the last page for you. There was a little chart that Stuart Scott made of basically how to make a biblical decision and then how to examine the heart that I, for some reason, just when it printed, it didn't come out. And I'll print it for you next week. But I hope that was helpful. I hope that was clear. Like I said, if you just sum it up, it's be submissive, search for commands, search for principles, and walk in a manner worthy of Christ. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that this helps each of us uh, in our decision-making in life to to walk in a manner worthy of you, to submit to your uh, will that you have uh, um, revealed to us in your word. Help us to uh, lead our families um, in, in making wise and biblical decisions. Help us to, to lead um, our, our, our children in that and, and even our own lives, Lord. We pray that we would uh, live in a way that not only glorifies and honors you, but is edifying to others and encouraging to others and helps others uh, to, to follow you. That, Lord, people could look at our life and, and, and Lord willing, we can say, imitate me as I strive to imitate Christ. And we live as examples to others because of wise and biblical decisions. And Lord, we just pray that you help us to be humble, help us to surround ourselves with a multitude of counselors, but help us to be submissive and obedient to your revealed word uh, so that we can do your will. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'll see you next week.